guys. Welcome to another episode of Natural Thoughts and Talks. We got a great episode for you. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Craig. Uh, my name is Craig Stone. Yep. Yep. Yes. And I will 100% preface this episode for you. You have permission to brag, okay? You have permission <laughs> to talk about yourself. And the reason why I wanted to have you on, not only as an elder of our community, and somebody who's been, you know, very influential in not only my life, but my parents as well. You know, it's pretty cool that you've been able to teach not only myself, but my mom. And you have, you know, multiple generations under your belt that you've been at this teaching thing for a while. You've been um, really putting together a career, which I don't, you're not retired, semi-retired, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, but you've been sort of in and out of the educational system for what 40 years how how long have you been at it um i came to cal state long beach uh, in 1975 and we uh, sang and danced in this in this uh, auditorium and uh then they were i was recruited to go to school there then and it's on 1976 that's when i started <clears throat> going to school and working there I worked as a dishwasher in the um, in the dorms, so so I actually have forty seven years in forty seven <laughs> years. Yeah, and I'm so excited <laughs> to have you on right now because you know how you kind of always know somebody, but like I come late. You know, I was born late, obviously, like uh, within the yeah. relationship, and such a little guy when you knew me yeah. that you never get to ask certain questions because it's always like. Oh well, you don't know where that guy's from, from because yeah. you just you're you're late to the party in yeah, some yeah. cases, right? Or yeah. it's kind of like whenever you show up to like a powwow or a game or something, you have all these relatives, and you're kind of like, oh, I don't really know what the the origin story is here, yeah, and yeah. you just never ask. And then sometimes, who knows? You uh, you know you lose contact with people, or people pass away, or things happen to where like I think it's I've kind of taken on the role to sort of document. And the reason why I kind of wanted to get you down is because they're not making humans like you anymore. <laughs> You're from a generation of people that it's it's wild the things that you guys have been able to accomplish. The amount of just access that you've given people like me as a collective. That's why I say it's okay to brag. It's okay to open up if you have certain stories that you want to tell there's no script that I have here. I just have a okay. few bullet points in my head, but basically it's it's sort of an episode to celebrate you. I want to hear about some of your accomplishments, some of your struggles, some of the ways that you were thinking because you have to understand my perspective and what this show is about is a young man or woman navigating their early 20s, maybe just coming out of college, sort of thinking to themselves, "Hey, Maybe I have a little bit of direction of what I want to do. Fortunately, I feel blessed in that I have leaders like you, and I've had so many coaches that are at a world-class level to where I know exactly sort of what I want to do or at least what I want to start on, but people aren't always that lucky or that intentional. And, you know, they're floating around for a long time from 22 to kind of 30, right? So I guess we can kind of just start with sort of where did you grow up? Where are you from? I, I grew up in Rubidoux, California, and uh, where I grew up was uh, the, right on the end of Rubidoux, and that's uh, next to um, uh, Harupa. So it was rural, and it was hilly. How far is that from here, LA? 
Oh, it's by Riverside. Okay, gotcha. So it's the other side of Riverside. And um, <clears throat> my uh, dad bought a lot, and they built their house. So we were very physical, um, did all kinds of stuff. Um, so I, I grew up in that context, you know. So uh, I'm 60, I'll be 68 in October. But, um, you know, it is kind of like cliches. We walked to school. It was like a, whatever, mile or two. Um, we, um, got up and did chores. Um, <laughs> I rode my bike and I had a paper route. So I'd get up at like five in the morning and, you know, rain or shine, you were delivering them papers. So, <laughs> so there was a lot of kind of physical activity, you know, mm-hmm. and then getting up early and, um, and I think, uh, my dad, um, like this little kind of characterized my dad, um, when it was time for me to get a car, I was, you could drive at 15 and a half with a learner's permit. So at 15, uh, my dad would take me and my, my sister, we'd go to pick apart. Uh, that's a uh, salvage automotive salvage. We'd, okay. We'd buy two cars, uh, that were the same year and we'd make one car with so, all the spare parts and yeah. stuff. Oh, so, so you had to learn that. And mine was a Corvair and, the reason why my dad wanted me to have a Corvair is because it had two carburetors and it would make it much harder to, um, to put them in sync. So that's how my dad was, you know, and oh, he then, wanted a challenge for you, huh? Well, and he wanted you to know, uh, the concepts, uh, the principles, like you could repair your car cause you built your car and, and then we worked on the house. And so, so that's just something. And that's comes from his dad, you know, and they lived up in, uh, I spent my summers in uh, up up in uh, Northern California, Nevada border, and um, that's where my dad's father he had a homestead, and that homestead was made out of, their house was made out of railroad ties, and they had um, a root cellar too. What's a homestead? Like, how would you classify a homestead? Oh, kind of like a little ranch. Okay, gotcha. you know. You have chickens, you might have goats, you got a big, big, big garden. Oh, it's like sustainable, but just for kind of like the, the just house. Just your family. Gotcha, yeah. yeah. Not like a big farm where you're no, putting no. out. Yeah, gotcha. No, but you could shoot dove or, or uh, quail off the back porch, and you could uh, walk to a little uh, uh, um, field, and then there was a lake there, and then so you'd get goose or duck and gotcha. then you'd bring it back and then the aunties or my grandma they would make take the feathers and they would make pillows at a certain size mm-hmm. and down uh comforters they wove their carpets and and the root cellar was filled with <clears throat> all this stuff that they had um, grown in the garden and then they can it you know or or like uh, deer meat that had been dried and and apples hanging from nails on strings so the apple would wouldn't touch another apple yeah and then and then a pump outside that was our water source so so i summer times and winters i would go there and uh and spend that time with them and then my daughter and my niece they during the summertime they spent that time with um my parents so so they were around people who were older you know, we were around people who were older like that, and um, and they grew up in a particular particular way. Um, so we 
um, ate probably 50% of our diet in Rubidu was stuff we grew on the uh, right there. And then we had all these trees. So a lot of the things people talk about that are good for your health, you know, like getting up early, getting that morning light, um, eating seasonally, you know, mm-hmm. all that. Like um, that's how we lived with my grandparents and that's how we lived with my my parents. That's how they did things. So so it, it is a kind of different time period. You know, I was thinking, you know, when we were in school, if we got in trouble, they would make you pull your pants down in front of the class and they'd take a, a paddle and they'd paddle you on the butt, you know? Yeah. So that was normal, you know? So Do you remember a specific so, time you got paddled? Oh, yeah, Mr. Payne. Uh, that was in uh, <laughs> third third grade. Third grade, yeah. He was ex-Marine. Uh, What'd you do? I got in a fight with a... Like uh, somebody was in an older class, and I was kind of a scrapper when I was a little kid. Not now or anything, but but I was a long time ago. And he would pick you up, like by your arms, and then he would put your face right to his face, and then he would talk to you if you did something bad. (laughs) And then he had an oar, a canoe paddle that he had drilled holes in. And then he would spank you with that. We asked him, you know, why does it have holes in it? And he goes, goes through the air faster. <laughs> <laughs> like a cricket so, paddle, huh? <laughs> something, yeah. So, so, but anyway, my point was that it was a different era, you know? Mm-hmm. And there was a different kind of sense of what was okay, you know? So that, um, but I think, uh, I went to a funeral recently. This is my uncle. Uh, and he passed on and, when we were there, all the family was there, and uh, and and they all be talking, and then they look at me, and they'll smile and laugh, and at some point they'll say, "You're just like your dad. You act just like your dad. Your mannerisms are just like your father." You know, mm-hmm. and uh, he grew up uh, in a place in Northern California. Uh, it's a little tra- railroad area uh track where my uh, grandfather great-grandfather he was in charge of uh, fixing the railroads in that area just that little section so that's why they had their homes were made out of railroad ties Mm. that's why they had super thick walls super warm um but anyway he grew up there my dad and then they walked to school to a place called chilkoot california and they lived somewhere between hallelujah junction and chilkoot and um, so my first memory as a kid, uh, the only, the only, this is my very first memory, and and I don't think I would just remember it if it was just me remembering it, but it was people talking about it all the time. So I don't actually know if this is what I saw or what I experienced, or if it's been influenced by all these people talking about it. You mm-hmm. know, but it was my great. Um, great aunt and great uncles it was their their mom who died <clears throat> and in that tradition where they're from they're northern Paiutes. so my mom my dad's mom who's like half swedish uh they married um her brothers and sisters married uh, williams family so they were northern Paiutes. so that's where my dad grew up and so uh 
he had certain mannerisms and attitudes and things that he did. He worked on the railroad as well, or what was his no, career? No, he, he just went to school there. Okay. You know, he just grew up. That's where their homestead was. Uh-huh. So they grew up there. But the point was, my memory was this, was was going to up there and um, and being around a bunch of relatives and people taking stuff out of the house and then burning the house mm. and visually watching this house burn, you know. And like I say, I don't, I don't know. Memory's a, a strange thing, right? So I don't, I don't know. But so anyway, so we would hear all these stories we'd visit, and one of the stories that my, uh, my, um, a grandma used to tell us was about her dad, uh, and and how uh, they would go and get horses up, and they would collect all these wild mustangs. And then they would bring them to, <clears throat> they'd corral them. Then they would dig a hole and they would build a fire and they would cook like a cow, a cow, half a calf or a cow or something. Anyway, and then they would invite everybody in to come. And they called it a barbecue. But, uh, and then the rules were that during the day, you they would uh, try to break the horses. And they would break, whoever broke the horse got to keep the horse. And uh, and then they fed, so all these people. So I think, for me, you know, those were like stories we were told. So my cousin Dean, uh, he and I have been involved with these kinds of organizational things, where you're bringing people together, you know, mm-hmm. and you're feeding people. And so he's like Elko has a rodeo, and my cousin Dean was really involved with that. And Reno has a big rodeo, and my cousin Dean was also involved with that. And then I was always involved with the powwows, you know, and, and helping to organize her going. And so that type of activity of, um, um, of being kind of being told those stories that, yes, we do these kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, that's who you are. Like, uh, we would have this and this is like a gift, you know? So for me, um, those kinds of mm, values and stories are like that. And then we'd be told these stories um, when we would go out. We'd go hunting, and sometimes you get stuff, sometimes you don't. But 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 my grandpa would always tell us all these stories. And so one of the stories that I think made an impact on me <clears throat> was um, they had, it was a really, really hard winter. A lot of these are hard winter stories. And where they live, it's really hard, you know. So, uh, so... So anyway, so uh, they had raised a pig and they had their root cellar and they had all the stuff that they were going to try to eat throughout the winter, but it was really hard. And so they had a pig that they had raised and then they went outside in the morning and they discovered uh, like the guts, the entrails there. And then, and uh, like you could see footprints and something being drugged, which was the pig. And a trail of blood. Uh-huh. So they followed that, you know. And uh, when they when they got there, they said uh, that that house they knocked on, and the people in there were feasting, you know. So they're eating that pig. So these are their neighbors. These are their friends, you know. And they were right in that that community, so everybody knows everybody, you know. So uh, uh, so I, so they said, uh, you know. 
we know you, and we know you wouldn't have done this unless you were really, really, really hungry, and um, that that's just not who you are. So what we want to do is we want to split this with you. So you keep half of it. We'll both make it through the winter. So I think that that those hearing those stories, do you know what I'm saying? It's not a revenge story. It's not like, you know, it's not like uh, a Liam Neeson movie or it's not like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not a revenge thing. You know, it's a, it's a like survival thing. It's like trying to help people. Um, so that hearing those stories, uh, and there's a bunch of them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so, so I think we were always attracted to people who kind of shared those types of values, you know? And so, um, so that's, that's, um, um, stuff. Um, so, uh, in terms of bragging, you know, like, uh, in 1978, I was in a show at the art show, 1978, uh, at the world headquarters of the Bank of America, Mm. showing my artwork you know and uh and so so i've been like doing these activities for a long time and one of the things i do this public art stuff you know art in public places but uh i actually taught the first course in the united states um for artists Mm. for public art that's cool so yeah so there's all these things we've done or i've done and i always have a team you know and we work together yeah so, so, um, so, so that's been a long path, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, so it's, so, so there's all these different deals, but, uh, what comes down to me again and again, uh, like as I get older and think about these things, it's like, uh, try, uh, try, it's, it's it might seem dumb, but it's like trying to, uh, support others on their journey, you know? And, and, and to, um, kind of entrench, like support what they want to do. And that's because I had mentors. So one of my early mentors was a, was a guy, his name was, um, um, Richard Band and he's Squamish. So he's from British Columbia. And, um, and so when I, I was a student, uh, he said, Craig, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd like to be an artist or like graphic designer or something. And then he said, why don't you be the graphic designer for uh, American Indian Studies program? And I said, um, really? And he's like, yeah. And then he said, look, you can write a grant. There's these people that will give us money to support these things. When was this? 1976. So wait, hold on now. Were you a student or at yeah, the time? Yeah. Okay, so is this how you got into uh, teaching, basically? Yeah, teaching was interesting, too, back then. So um, um, I was you couldn't get a degree in American Indian Studies, just a program, so you get a certificate uh, or a minor. But there was a school of art. So I made all this stuff, right? Like with my dad, we made all these things, and my grandpa Jewel Stone is his name. He had he had this um, when you go to their to their you know homestead we call. So when you go there, um, uh, we would have to cut wood, you know. And so he had taken either Model A or Model T. I don't can't tell the difference, but but he put a big old buzzsaw blade on the wheel, 
right? Mm -hmm. And then he'd have Dean or I uh, fire it up, put it in reverse, and then that would make that that wheel, oh, okay, right, go backwards. And then and he had he had built a sliding table, and so so uh, you know it was that kind of thing like you just made do, right? And artists lots lots of times they really are bricolers, you know. What is uh, that? Uh, you like compront you bring things together oh, in, gotcha. in ways that um that um uh, this isn't necessarily what this is made for but you know we can use this <laughs> so so there was that kind of a deal and um and so so um because of that uh, uh people like that man um so what I was getting at was that if you understand the kind of the principles of what you're trying to do, right? It's it's not like if you're doing it exactly right or something, or you're following the rule books, but that uh, you're 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 figuring it out, you know? Yeah. So so that's part of that culture, you know, of just figuring this stuff out, you know. So I think that that has a lot to do um, with um, my own sense, like. Uh, success and i don't get upset about a bunch of stuff you know mm -hmm. and people will say you know this is going on and what's going on? and 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 uh and lot and lots of times it's it's like uh geez if this isn't gonna matter like six years from now what what why should i be all upset about it yeah you know what i mean and i think that that's one thing when you're young is hard uh to get uh, that not everything matters. Everything you know? seems so impending doom. All the time, uh, you know? Uh, you miss an assignment. Oh my gosh, this is going to lead to me uh, dropping out or failing the class, and now I don't graduate, and now I don't get that job, and now I can't feed my family that I don't even have now. It, right, right. Everything, you start to like streamline to impending death, right? <laughs> so Yeah. That's so, cool. And so... So that's one thing, and, and I had those mentors were, were like that. So I had these different people, like Charlotte Standing Buffalo, who was one of my, she's like paid for my giveaways and dances, and and was a singing supporter, you know. And uh, and so uh, because I had those people uh, who, you know, they just kind of uh, made you calm, I guess, and Carol Whaley Miller, um they they were there's these people and they were there and there was that sense of they wanted to support you and there was also a concept you know where it's like oh you have a gift for that they'll say that you know you have a gift for that and then and then they're supporting you mm -hmm. to, to do that you know and and so so in many ways i feel like i was blessed to have a whole bunch of people like this my aunt vivian great aunt vivian um and um, all these people, my mom for sure. That's awesome. So, so I'm blessed to have that support. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get so, it. I like the way you really brought up as far as what was that word? Give it to me one more time. The braca bracador. The uh, bricoleur. Bricoleur. It's an art. It's an art term. Yeah, right? I'm gonna take that one with you. Uh, <laughs> bricoleur. Yeah. Um, because that's it's weird. I'm. In art, I didn't realize I was an artist until literally maybe 
six months ago and it really didn't hit home until i had an artist on Haley hokinson her episode maybe oh, comes out cool. well by the time people are listening to this it's already out so go listen to Haley's okay. episode and then listen to this one because okay. she uh same age as me yeah. she's working on doing big things and being an illustrator for yeah. children's books other books oh, cool. uh like medical you know magazines things like that she's really talented and you know the sky's the limit for her but i was basically explaining like i don't have talent I've, i just haven't developed talent with a pen or a brush yeah, or anything yeah. like that right however she goes no you're an artist because when you speak people listen the way that you're mm-hmm. able to curate words is an art form and i realized throughout this podcast or this show i'm finally making that art tangible yeah in the way that i'm not a, i would think that maybe a singer is the only way that you can uh mm-hmm. you know use your voice for art but I really realized I was like, oh, yeah, no, I kind of am just the way I make people laugh or the way I'm charismatic with things yeah, like that. Yeah. And I oftentimes don't have uh, I'm not the best at maybe reading the room when it's time to be quiet. You know, <laughs> that's something that I, I'm working on. That's really like when I'm in Sweden, let's say sometimes we're in a new crowd of people. And, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah, a, that's a completely a different, different culture, audience man. right there. That's a different audience yeah. that uh, I've definitely had to come and understand and learn. And oh, OK, yeah, people don't like being put on the spot here here like right then and there where i love that i want the spotlight right (laughs) on me and i go oh finally Mm. like all right we'll talk to this whole room and i'll light it on fire and you know it's good but i really like that you're you know getting into art and you know that's one of the main things that i wanted to talk about and just creativity in general and just finding different ways to get things done i think that's the main root is that there's always there's not only one way of doing anything you know there's thousands of thousands of different routes to get to the mountaintop i think people often think that there's only like the way i like to look at it is even that that concept of the mountaintop right it's like my mountaintop is upside down so we start at one point if you take a mountain the triangle and you turn it upside down and then you have all these uh, dividing routes that you can go down uh-huh. to get to the quote unquote goal. That's how I wish if I could, right. um, like the school that I'll build one day in the future, that's the message that I want to hone in on uh-huh. is that there's not one way of doing things. There's only your way of doing things. Right. Yeah. So, and you just saying that like, you know, there's so many different routes to get there. So cool. And I, one of the other things that I wanted to touch on, uh, in getting you scheduled, I remember we spoke a couple months back and you said that you really wanted to talk about the concept of kind of like being a mutt as far as culture, as far as your background yeah, yeah, yeah. of like how you felt kind of, um, you know, growing up and just having so many different alleyways to tap into because... Although I don't feel like a mutt, I know I'm a thoroughbred nice. steed, all right? I ain't no mutt yeah, no, around People here. don't like that word, but I don't I don't mind it, you know? Yeah. My, my dad's family, we all knew what we were, mm-hmm. you know, on his family. But my mom was in an orphanage, right? And then she was in foster care in California. So uh, we just had, real, like, very little to go on, you know? Yeah. And, and so... Um, uh, so so my mom, we never really knew much as kids. So uh, we just knew we were we were mixed, and we knew that we had certain things, and that's uh, like her, like in that that was looking at like uh, her mom's birth certificate and things like that. So, um, and this is a weird thing. Uh, 
my mom's father immigrated from Canada. And in Canada, they changed his name. And they couldn't pronounce his first name or last name. So they changed his name to an English first name and a German last name. And my mom would say, well, you know, he's not, uh, I, I don't know if he's either of those things, you know. And she said, but what he told us was that there was a guy named John Smith who was running for president, and the people were talking, and then they gave him this other name, this German name. So so when people would meet him, they would just assume he was German, you know. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, so in terms of art, uh, uh, when I was a student, oh, and anyway, we did, my mom, before she died, did DNA. And no, he's not German, he's not English. So um, she's like all this stuff. So, yeah. so when she, we looked at it, we're like, oh my gosh, you know, like you're native up and down the, uh, this continent and you're, you have Middle, uh, South, uh, Central Asian and, mm. and Basque and like all this stuff. My mom's like, like... But we never knew that until um, she was near death, and she said, "You know, I'd like to do DNA. So trying to figure this out. So for us on my mom's side, it's always been like not ever really knowing, you know. And um, when I was a student, I had a teacher who said, "Geez, it's too bad we have to look at this artwork in uh, in the classroom because it really should be in a gallery. This is not student art." So I thought, it's not student art. Well, how can it not be student art? I'm a student and I made it. And and so I interviewed all my teachers, art professors, and I gave them a list of questions, defining what's the difference between art and student art. Hmm. And the art world is, is about making images or representations very often, you know? So, so I said, that year I was going to... Uh, live up to this stereotype uh, of being a student artist. And I would make my artwork. Then I would study that professor and, and, and the way that they would grade your artwork. And then I would, I would put a cover sheet on it and I would pre-grade it according to the way that teacher would grade it. And, and I'd give it a grade and then I would make the comments, you know, and it was all based upon what they said was student art. So I was wanted to make student art, the like a representation of student art that would function as student art. And they all thought it, it was like really smart and clever, but um, but they didn't like it because kind of you know <laughs> because it was kind of like making fun of them in a way you know. Yeah. So anyway, so so uh, but that was an interesting project. But after that, uh, I made all these personas and. Uh, did all this work, uh, and, and it was really uh, dealing with, um, like, what's authentic? What's not authentic? Who's authentic? Uh, who determines who's authentic? So I made all these personas from uh, different ethnic racial backgrounds, and then I would make work that looked like what, what that, that type of art looked like in the art magazines. Then I would change their names. And, and so unless you were living up to the art world stereotype, then they didn't want to, they didn't feel it was authentic, right? Okay. So if you were, I had a Jerome Leroy Washington III and all these different, different, um, 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 you know, personas. 
And um, and then my mom would go and put it in. And I mentioned the show 1978 up there in San Francisco at the Bank of America World Headquarters Gallery. And uh, I had submitted the same body of work, right? And so was, I made all of it and looked the same, mm-hmm. you know? Well, Jerome Leroy Washington III did not get into the show. Uh, Michino Kogani got in the show, and I got in the show. And then when we went to the opening, the curator said, Michino Kogani did the most sensitive work in this area that she'd ever seen, that Craig Stone was influenced by her, but really didn't have the sensibility or sensitivity at all. Mm. But Jerome didn't even get in the show. So, so, so That's when, crazy. Yeah, and I did that. Without people knowing. And you submitted for, three different aliases. And yeah. it, wow, and it was the same work, same hand. And yeah. why is that? Why? Well, I, I think it's people have these notions of what's authentic, what's not authentic, you know, and, uh, and, and what's appropriate. So some of it's well-intentioned. Like mm-hmm. some of it's like, uh, like, like uh, Foucault was one of the writers people were talking about at the time. So it's like the indignity of, of speaking for others, right? Mm. So that would be one one thing. But, you know, the art mar- art world is a market. And so also they're marketing these different kinds of artwork. Yeah. Right? So so it's and then they have collectors who collect this type of artwork. But so when you I'd look at my friends and they would they could actually in the course of a day be doing all these different kinds of things all 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 throughout the day, you know. But when they were known in the art world, they'd only be known for one thing. Mm. Do you know? Yeah. So 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 it was so any, I did that for know, quite a while, and then uh, revealed it. And the L.A. Times said, you know, that it reveals like this subtle racism that's at work within the art world. You know? Yeah. And then after that, I started making work that was combining all of those things. You know, but. Um, but part of that came out of my friends who, you know, like they were given a certain name. Like a friend, a friend of mine was given this name, birth name of Hopkins, you know. And that, but his actual name comes. It's like Wombly Luta or Wombly Duta, and so it means Red Eagle. So he changed his name. The day he changed his name, like all these people just totally um, responded to him differently. Yeah, he, you know, he goes to the. Um, goes to the um, check what, what do you call it you know like when you go to the bank checker uh-huh. you know and then like he's been in there a hundred times you know and then all of a sudden oh my gosh you know like in california right uh-huh. like elsewhere like montana or south dakota you might not get that good reception but in california people get a better reception you know mm-hmm. so so that was this kind of thing we had all these people who had changed their names and uh Laura's sister, my wife's sister, she was an Imagawa, and now she married this Jewish guy, and so now she has Weinstein as her last name. So people are responding to her differently. And so I was always asking, you know, like, well, what if? And the, and the the personas were mostly names in my family, all these different names, you know. So so um, like Leroy was my dad's middle name, you know. So and so so. Uh, in Washington, we had relatives who were, who were George Washington. We uh, like their their name was George Washington, mm-hmm. Howard, George Washington, something else. 
So, so, and Fran Stone was one of my uh, dad's side family. So, so I'd make these personas using these different names, you know, and 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 there was a, this relationship that the that could have been my name. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, there's Estradas and. What I really so, like about names, um, just as somebody that has sort of a almost a one of one like first name, and uh, that's something that oh, that's true carries me almost the you know my name is unforgettable. So it it proceeds even before I walk in the door. If yeah. there's one person in there that knows me, hey, venture ventures here, you know what I mean. So it's one of those things cool. where you know you kind of have to live up to something that interesting almost, but. What I really like in Sweden, the thing that they've been doing differently is when they get married over there, they get to choose their last name. So obviously, like Hannah doesn't have to take O'Neill. Like they're, mm-hmm. um, we actually had him on the podcast. Hannah's brother-in-law, really good friend of mine. His name's Adam. He was one of the first uh, guests that I had on oh, the show, actually. Wow, wow. And he talks about um, sort of the vision or the dream that he had. And I forget what his um, original last name was, but they married Hannah's sister, older sister. And their um, last name became Anchorstorm. So I guess he had some sort of a vision, and they changed it to Anchorstorm. I think he was on a ship or a boat or something. And so now his name is Adam and Amanda Anchorstorm is their name. So I've always considered um, changing my last name because I'm not very connected to O'Neill. Yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah. not something That's that right. yeah. you know I'm not too keen on. Like I don't dislike it, but I don't like it. I'd really right. like to change it. Obviously, my Indian name is Iron Buffalo Cloud, so maybe it could be something like a maybe Venture Iron Cloud or something like right. that would be something I'd strongly consider, you know, down the road here. Um, but you, know. you have all those family names. Yeah, you could. Your mom, I'm sure, knows. Mm-hmm. You don't. You know, what I mean? like where it's really mm-hmm. a name that got lost and brought back. Yeah. The the thing that was going on, there was all these artists like. Uh, that were doing this, changing their names. And so so there's a famous architect uh, in Los Angeles, in the world, you know, he did the D- Disney Center downtown, but his name is Frank Geary, but that's not his name, you know. he His wife convinced him that he needed to change his name if he was going to be a successful architect in Los Angeles. Oh, to make it sound more architect-y or what? Well, to make it sound not Jewish. Oh, He gotcha. had a Jewish surname that... that it's a German surname, but people thought would mm-hmm. know that's oh that's Jewish, you know. So so he did that, and I think he regretted that. And then there's other artists at the time, like uh, John Doe Company. Hmm. So this is a Chinese American artist who was just not happy, you, you know, like he didn't get the reception. So um, and uh, I'm blanking on his name. I mean, his original name, but it's uh, Chang, I think, his last name. And I worked with him on the project. That's why it's horrible that I forgot <laughs> his name, you know. Yeah. But he was always John Doe Company, so he felt to be accepted, you know, he would need to change his name like that. Huh. And there was another person, she changed her name to Lita Albuquerque. And, and then Patrick Ireland changed his name, and he changed it back to his original name, and his was connected to... Um, struggles in ireland and he was going to and until certain things happened then he would change his name back so so there was a lot of artists that did that a lot of women did that or they just used their initials you know mm. because it was it was a male uh, dominated 
you know? You know, what's so, really cool about, I like that you're talking about that because how different it is within my era right now is that instead of the information age that you came up in of as far as like lack of information or you had to at least go research in order to get the answer yeah i have all the answers yeah. you know what i mean right here for you know in my pocket mm-hmm. so i no longer lack information it's not an information age it's an authenticity based society so huh. there is the shift where yes there is so much let's say art right yeah. but how much of the art is real how much of it is coming from the proper not proper way to do art, but how much of it is in some, somebody's soul, right? So, for example, it's scalable. Like, think about this show, right? You talk about 30 years ago, A, nobody's going to give me a radio show. You know what I mean? <laughs> First of all, so that's a barrier right then yeah, and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, aside from just getting the show, the ability to broadcast it now into, we have people listening, you know, on different parts from one side of the globe to the other, right? And it's slowly growing into this network and web of people. So the ability, I talk about authenticity because that's what people really relate to. It's this interesting thing for me to say, oh, you know what? Uh, Venture O'Neill really likes cars, right? I love classic cars. That's my thing, right? And it's really cool because a classic car for you is a really old car. (laughs) (laughs) But a classic car for me and someone in my era is like 1996 would be like a 1996 Bronco would be one of my favorite Uh cars to have, right? And that's something where it's like, that's a modern car for you and your well, age, my, right? Yeah, but my my truck out there is a '94 Toyota Jenny. Exactly, and there's a market for that. Where <laughs> it's crazy, people, yeah. I bought it new. You know? Yeah, and people <laughs> it was cheap. people love that, right? <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is, let's say, um, oh, if I was to say, let's never talk about cars on this show, right? Uh, we're going to uh. talk about everything. This is an art show, right? But yeah. we're never going to talk about cars. Which a cars are art, the way that they were built back then. Yeah. But the lack of the barrier between understanding that there's somebody out there that's listening that is the market that enjoys cars as well. So Mm -hmm. the idea that it's like you have to adhere to this one way or this one thought, I disagree with that. I talk about cars. I talk about the beach. You know, there's not like you have to have this niche, let's say, thing. No, you just do whatever you're interested in. Keep throwing stuff at the fan and really Uh having fun doing it because – more people are going to be relatable. They're going to understand. They're going to be able to connect and be like, you know what? This guy's talking about the beach. I really love the beach, right? Yeah, yeah. And they can either vicariously live through your experiences with mm-hmm. that, like mm-hmm. just like the podcast, right? I yeah. love watching shows of people who, let's say my biggest thing, it's really weird because if you look at like my YouTube It'll be people who sail. Like, I don't have a sailboat yet, but yeah, like, I love yeah. watching people who oh, just get yeah, out there yeah. and like really teach me how to do that. I watch a lot of like car videos. I watch a lot of like dog videos, cooking yeah. videos to where yeah. it's like, I just like kind of living through or learning how other people are doing it in right. real time. Right. So that's sort of the like changing your name. It's almost like, no, wait, you're changing the best thing about you like the the thing that your your foundation of your platform let's say uh-huh. is something that now you're gonna you think it has to be something else based on maybe previous data or like what that's what i'm trying to see is back then what was the thought about changing your name is you were 
uh, oppressed for it or what what was it like the fact that it was too jewish let's say so what jewish people can't be good artists is that the thought well, process at that time you know things were way different right yeah i mean so, it pisses me off thinking about it now of yeah. like no but there was it was really different and then there were only certain opportunities right mm. so it's like so the reason why the women's building was created in la was women couldn't get exhibitions they would they would be doing artwork that was you know, comparable or better than, you know, as good as, but they wouldn't get uh, in these exhibitions. So they created their own building and then they did that. And what we did was we curated exhibitions, you know, mm -hmm. and so we would just create those exhibitions. But one of the, there's a one point I want to get back to, and that is that, you know, I do this public art stuff, you know, and, and that is, is really about how do you create a public space where everybody feels valued in that space yeah where where uh so a lot of that is is was trying to tell different stories different histories and and to try to create a space that's inclusive because in the united states public space is a place where everybody can go and you can be rich or poor or come from whatever background but if you go to the top of signal hill and you go to that artwork so that's a project i did up there with john shaketti my friend and, um, what are you talking about on the top of Signal Hill? The statues that are up there? Or what well, are you talking uh, about? Well, I designed uh, uh, with John Schichetti what's called Hilltop Park. Yeah, I go there like every yeah. week. So those windows that you look through, right? Yeah. Those are, those are that's concept. What they used to talk about in public art is that they, they'd make a sculpture, you know, that would be in a gallery. Mm -hmm. And then that they take that outside and they blow it up really big. And they call that concept the outdoor gallery. So what I did up there was create those steel wind walls that when you look through them, it, it looks flat, right? It looks, and there's a little label, and the label says, looking to the southeast towards Huntington Beach or something. These guys right here. Yeah, that's my project. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, so 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 that, that, that center thing, mm -hmm. right, that has a mist signal that goes out. And Momotahiku... Uh, that term, it means the ocean's breath, and that and if you look on the backside of one of those, there it'll talk about the this plank canoe, that's uh, Tonga Gabrieleno mm -hmm. uh, plank canoe, and the name of that canoe is Momadahiku, you know, mm -hmm. and then we restored the Momadahiku at school, and then also uh, she stayed here at our house for probably a decade, you know, she was in our backyard here, mm. so. So the, the deal is that um, when you look at that, 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 you know, you look out from that promontory, uh, it's beautiful. And what it does is each of those windows frames that landscape. So when you go there uh, every day, what appears to be like a picture because of the way that's constructed, it's an illusion. But every day, every moment, uh, you get a different view of nature. You get a different view of that view. Oh, that's amazing. And for so, the listener that's just listening, if you just Google Signal Hills Hilltop Park, it's uh, definitely one of the best sunset, you know, views yeah. in the city. Um, you know, one of the top ones in SoCal. I like to go up there because 
you get away. You are above everything. Yep. The sun goes down. And no matter what's going on, like in your world, in your life, you're just able to relax for 30 minutes as you watch the sunset. Yep. And that's really cool. So break this down for me then. Like I'm sitting here looking at an aerial yeah, view of yeah. it. So I'm seeing the four or what? One, There's two, three, three of them. Three. Yeah. So what it is, is that, that is the reservoir. When was this made? I've never even... I, yeah, I don't know, 80s you or something. You don't remember? Let's see. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, but the deal is that that place, all these people come there. They feel comfortable there. They make out, you know? Yeah. Like people will send me photographs of people making out there, you know? I'm going to send you a pic later. <laughs> nice. So, so the thing is that, that the, like the concept was what's the actual history there? And, you know, it's because of oil history. That was the most productive oil field mm -hmm. right in the world at one point oh wow and uh yeah it's crazy and then and so that that blue thing is like a gusher except it's we painted it blue to look more like water mm. and then what what where that concrete pad is that actually that's a big tank and so the concept and there's rocks there so that the big rock is at the bottom so that's like if you dropped a rock in the center of a pool it would ripple out Mm -hmm. And if you look at the lines there, they're rippling out, you know, and each one of those on one side, you're looking back on the history of, of that place. And then when you look out, you're looking at what you're seeing right in this moment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's a reflective thing. So, so, so one of the things is there's all this stuff that influences right back and forth, back and forth. And there's like a, this is, there's like a penny song, you know? And I remember uh, when S Stephen Apple passed on, we had to learn that song, and uh, and then later we sang it for Cecilia. Uh, so so the deal is that um, in that song, you know, you 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 come to the center, and then you dance to the left in real time, and you're thinking about where you are right now in this moment, and then that, when that song stops, it stops, and then you dance backwards, and what you do is you is you're remembering that person who you're honoring the choices they made. So there's this reflective, like in the now and reflective. And so I'm not saying that Penny Song inspired that piece. What I'm saying is that when you have like knowledge about different things, right, then you can kind of connect those. And then you'll find that other people, they have that same thing, mm. you know? And so, so if it's rooted, if it's more foundational stuff, you know, then, then more people will come to understand that they belong there. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And that this is a good place for me, you know? So so that project, each one of those windows represents a certain time of history, you know? And the bad part, right, is that, like, this was just this big oil place, right? But the deal is that because of that, nobody built houses there. Yeah. So so when they, when they uh, said, okay, what are we going to do with this? They said, well, let's put our reservoir there. And then let's put, so that piece is called Earth Upon Water. Mm -hmm. It's like three feet of earth on top of this big reservoir of water. Oh, okay. And, the, and, the, uh, and then the, uh, the pathway uh, going up, there's a poem that's written in the, in the that's sandblasted into the uh, concrete. And that was John Cicchetti, who is uh, my collaborator, and Tom Weir is my collaborator. But John is a songwriter and a musician. And so he wrote that with Georgiana Sanchez, who lo lives in Long Beach, their shoe mash, you know. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things is that tiat, that plank canoe, it's, uh, so 
my cousins, I have cousins, you know, we're blood relations. Uh, and and I'm not Shumash, but they are Shumash, right? Mm-hmm. So so they, but they were the, the uh, they started the, they they made the helic, and they started, uh, they're what they call tumulieros. So um, they were the ones that in the seventies brought back that plank canoe. Okay. And then later the Tongva, the people from Long Beach area, uh, they they brought their canoe back in the nineteen nineties. So there's this weird thing that when when we were students, I didn't know those were my relatives, and I'd met them, you know. So for me, I have this great uncle. His name's Peter Estrada, and he he's he's really he was really old and died a long, long time ago. But he always had these stories and uh, long stories. At the end of the stories, he would say, "Do you understand what I'm saying?" And then we'd say, "Yes." You never know how you're connected to people. Mm. You have to treat people good because you never know if that's your relative or not. Yeah. So f- for a person like myself, who is like authentically a mutt, man, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like ridiculous. Like yeah. how many different things we are, you know, um, that, that uh, you never know who you're related to, Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's that. That's this thing that Peter Estrada used to tell us all these stories, and they were cool stories, you know. His, but they were only his real lived experience. Yeah. And then this weird thing, like, oh my God, my next door neighbor is the, you know, it's this person who he met in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's so, super cool. Yeah. As far as the Hilltop Park, I just Googled it. It said that the park was established in 1996. Oh, okay. April 6, 96. So yeah. that's so cool that you worked on that. I'm going to look at that place different <laughs> and I'm going to like yeah. think about you every time I go up there. I'm t- I Belmont Shore, all those shadows in Belmont Shore on the sidewalks. Uh-huh. That's one of my projects. Oh, cool. Yeah. And that we work with all these different constituent groups. You know, mm-hmm. there's not one community, there's always different constituent groups. So there's like mm-hmm. homeowners, there's school children, there's people that come to school there, there's people that buy things, there's uh, so there's all these different groups, and so we met with all of them, and each one of those shadows that's on the on the sidewalk in Belmont Shore, each one of them uh, was suggested by somebody from one of those groups, mm-hmm. and so some are an homage to someone who passed, others are like talking about the history of Long Beach. You know? mm-hmm. I, I love that Signal Hill because those are some of the hardest workouts I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I would put top three wow. where, um, like when I was running track, even I've been telling Hannah, we're going to get back into it to where I used to sprint from the bottom of that hill wow. right there and up go cheering? all the way to the I top. Mean, uh, yep. Uphill, I mean, yes, from you, cheering? You yeah. know that, um, like from the school. Oh, that's from the, the other side. The major oh, my God. One. Yeah. Oh, no. And I used yeah. to run all the way A lot of cars top. can't do that. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I was just running. And it's funny because Hannah actually, uh, wow. when COVID first started, that was the best shape that we've ever been in because yeah. it was funny. She would she was able to run up those wow. hills, sprints, wow. and like beat all the boys too. Wow. I had my roommate come out one time and I was like, Hey, come for a workout. Right. And he's like, all right, all right. He was eating a Chipotle burrito and then came and was <laughs> uh, throw up twice. Oh, no. He was hacking in the side wow, and all wow. the sidewalk, but it's just so huh. funny. That's super cool that like, you know, you got all this artwork and I'm going to start looking at more of the, like behind the scenes of stuff that I'm seeing more. That's really cool. That- the other project in Long Beach is the promenade. Yeah. So the first block of the promenade is one of my projects. Okay. 
so it's next to renaissance hotel mm-hmm. and uh and uh yeah so 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 i've done all this public art projects and that's where you work with community to try to try to create a space that's you know reflective of and representative of that particular place you know yeah and the one on the down there it's based on this notion of emergence about stuff that disappears and comes back so it's so in there the imagery there are things that become visible and not and each of the it's got five sculptures and the light will shine through it and the it's made out of stainless steel quarter inch stainless steel and they're big you know Mm -hmm. and then the light comes down it hits the sidewalk and then what you see is it it's like a photographic negative because it has all these holes and then the distance it is is it because of the way light works it um you know it gets fuzzy and blends together so so it looks like an image and then that image moves but it comes and it goes and so it's filled with imagery that that um that you know that's ancient and and uh and and contemporary too so um but it but uh, some days you don't see it and then other days you might mm-hmm. you know so it's ep- what they say episodic you know so that way if you go there uh if you live there you know it kind of marks the seasons you know your time it helps you to understand your where you're at you know yeah the shadows get really long or they get short you know depending and there's one of a solar eclipse and if it gets hot you can go underneath that one line the sun up with it and then you're in the shade and that's one of a solar eclipse so oh, there's cool. all this stuff you know mm-hmm. yeah what would you say were some of your favorite courses to teach throughout your career oh do you uh, have one or no there's there's several yeah yeah i i in the school of art i taught uh art 131 which is 3d design and that's very complex if you do it right uh you're teaching foundational concepts and when you teach foundational concepts, they can be very, very complex because you can build one on the next. So I like that one because I've been walking in uh, uh, Montreal and also in uh, New York City and had people come up and tell me, I owe my job to you. You know, are you Craig Stone? Are you from Kelsey? I'm like, yeah. And they say, I took that class, you know. And yeah. then there's a guy at Oakley who my niece worked for, and, and he said, he always, she she said that he references me all the time that class and it's because you're learning foundational things not basic things that's a big difference foundational things are things that really matter mm-hmm. and can carry you through right and make you see things and understand things and understand relationships and it was hard for them you know um uh because we uh, i was really difficult you know, like you had to learn this and you have to do this. So, so, um, so that's one class. The other, the other class was, uh, you know, I ran a wood program and so I taught all this woodworking and stuff. And, uh, but, but uh, I was, uh, changed the graduate. I was uh, brought in at one point and I, I changed the graduate, the MFA. <clears throat> I was a graduate coordinator and I, in that, so I revamped the courses, you know. And one of them was about professional development, and uh, and so that was similar. You might hear recognize this, but I asked people to envision five years out. What are you going to be doing here? What aren't you learning in school? What are the connections you need to make? 
who do you want to become five yeah. years from now? And then they did projects. And their projects, some of those projects, they're alive today. And, you know, I mean, it's real stuff. And then uh, they got jobs and they do all kinds of stuff. So, so that is uh, similar to what I was saying about Richard Ban. That's what he said to us, you know, and that's what these people said was like, who do you want to become? What do you, where do you want to go? And what is school not teaching you, mm. you know? And so that's how we did that. They couldn't, it couldn't fulfill anything at school. You just had to do this. And so, so that one was really good. And then you get feedback. So the deal is it's not about the feedback you immediately get. It's like the feedback you get 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later. Yeah. Do you know, like, and then people say, dude, that, like, I, so that, those are two. And then the powwow class is the other one. And, uh, that, that was, a, that's good because, uh, it allows all these different people to come in and talk to the students about their path, you know, like mm-hmm. they have all these different positions. And so giving voice to people who participate, um, you know, within it, grew up in it. And then they can explain that. That is really, um, I think, a valuable thing. Then those people volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, and then they so then and they help with powwow. But they they've they've come to know these people before they are volunteering at powwow because they came to class and they explained why they do this and the meaning of it. So so I think that's uh, what's really foundational in my belief is that everybody can excel. Everybody can get in, can do good as long as they know um, the basics, the foundational concepts, and uh, and so I think that that's um, that's that's kind of um, so so this concept um, that there's so many Fs and so many Bs and so many Cs and so many Ds and all that kind of stuff. That to me is crazy. Because uh, if you really are doing it, teaching well, you know what I mean, then everybody should get an A. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Unless they're not doing anything. You know yeah. I mean? So that kind of concept, that's, that's so, yeah. Yeah. I think it's really cool. You've never stopped learning. I think that's what, that might be one of the things that I'm seeing separates uh, maybe people who fall off the wagon, let's say, or, you know, whatever that means for you and people that really kind of reach their goals and maybe accomplish the things that they're looking to accomplish in life is they're at it every day. You know, they're yeah. at it um, intentionally uh, every day. They're, it could be fitness. It could be, you know, school, work, whatever it is. I think it's relatable to whatever your goal is. You really have to intentionally just work at it every single day. You know what I mean? And like, over the course of it, or or here's honestly what I wanted to talk about was the societal concept, like these, these check marks that are so pressurized almost of like a, of 18 of a, Oh, I'm 30, but you know, I'm not married yet, let's say, or, you know, I'm 35, (laughs) but I don't have this job or something like that. Just it's at your own pace. It's so customized and individualized. It's your life, you know? So it's like, that's kind of what I want to talk about is sort of looking back on your start. What were you look, you've always been looking to be an artist, right? I like how you talked about sort of how you got into teaching, but 
what were some of the struggles that you were sort of uh, faced with maybe in your early 20s? Well, uh, this is a roundabout thing, but when I was young, uh, I, 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 uh, in high school, I worked as a, um, in dishwasher, mm-hmm. bus boy in the evenings. When I graduated from high school, I worked two shifts, six hour shift at one restaurant, eight hour shift at another. I live with my sister in Bloomington and, uh, she uh, worked for Fleetwood and she got a trailer. So we lived there. So anyway, but the thing is my food was all paid for, you know? So I was trying to save up money, right? And then my mom, she worked for uh, Riverside Unified School District, and a job came up to be a custodian, night custodian. So, so I was there, and and then uh, we would do our work, and there was four of us, and we would do our work, and then we would be done like an hour before, and the last hour we'd sit around, and and so the so it was me, a young college student going to Riverside City College. And then it was um, a black man, a, uh, a Hispanic, Chicano, identified Chicano, and then uh, a white guy. And they were all ex-military. They had retired from military, and they became custodians. So for me, every night, you know, we would sit around, and they would talk about their travels. And what was it like to travel as a person? Like, what was this white guy's military experience in Europe and Asia what was this black guys? What was this? So they were always comparing this, you know, and it was like a grad seminar and race relations, like every night. Yeah. And, and these guys were wise, you know, and none of them, they didn't go to college that they were like wise. How old people. were these guys at the time? Oh, they were in their sixties. Oh, and, okay. You know, they were older people. And, uh, and so, uh, so I liked that. I liked listening to old to that, you know, and I thought that was good. So, but in terms of jobs, we always 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 worked a lot. You know, you know what I mean? Like the trucks would come from the flower mart in in Rubidoux and all us kids we'd go out, we'd have those white buckets and stand on the corners and we would sell carnations because it was whatever Mother's Day or Valentine's Day or whatever. But what I'm saying is we were always working, uh-huh. you know. So and if you work in food service like that, six-hour shift, eight-hour shift, then then it's just not. Um, and then also, I was a wrestler, you know, and I was on the golf team in high school. So so there's just that uh, that thing that you just do. Yeah, you, 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 <laughs> you just work. You're work, just work. doing, and yeah. then it's easy when you transition from food service to, to teaching. Oh my God! Like this is way easier. Do you know what I mean? It's I not felt that not actually. as hard, right? That's really so. cool because <laughs> I was so I would say you know at the highest level of stress. Let's say working you know two jobs, um, getting school paid for things like that, doing school right to where once they gave me that degree and then you know I'm in the job I'm in right now. As far as uh, there's no added pressures other than the pressure of building a business, which obviously yes, has its yes, natural, yes. you know, that's a world within itself. However, 
the idea that my body isn't being torn up every day because yeah, yeah. I was on the back of a jet ski. I was a, a water <laughs> oh, cowboy. Oh, I know. At when you were doing point. that, I know. And That's even crazy. Think that. about this. It was the average person would go on one of those trips, right? And they probably wouldn't walk the next day. They were so sore. Yeah. And then the second day, maybe they'd be able to get up and go to the toilet, let's say. And then the third, about the third day, now they're going back to work. That's one where you go on that trip, you call off work the next day. Wow. Because it's wild. You're going to be so beat up. But I was doing that every day. I know. I remember when you were doing that. Rolling. So I was doing that, working other jobs, still taking care of, you know, uh, know, making sure Hannah's good, the dog's good, everything. But now it's just like the way I set my schedule is like way at a stronger pace than my colleagues right now who didn't go through something like that, where I feel so fortunate that I was thrown through that fire and that ringer. To where now when things are real and we're building things, I go, oh, a podcast? Yeah, no, let's just, just throw it on there. You know what I mean? Just yeah, throw that yeah. in the stack and we'll make sure that it gets done better than everybody else is doing it, basically. Yeah. Because that's just the standard that I'm at, right? Is Good. when we book these things, they go, how many episodes are you putting out? How many episodes have you done this year? Yeah, a lot. Oh, yeah, that's a lot. Mm, yeah, no, but I mean, it's not that much. It's fun. I like doing it. It's yeah. my favorite thing to do. So we're going to continue building it into you know, live shows one day, uh, you know, a show where we have sponsorships and ad revenue and, you know, we have the the, the guests get bigger and better and bigger and better yeah, and, yeah. you know, people who knows what wants to happen. There's the sky's the limit with something like this. And I appreciate you obviously taking the time to come on and be a part of it and yeah. even help inspire, like you're talking about that class that I took or that system where I was able to create my own thing you know that was basically it and that's one of those things where there is no a b c or d it's you get out of it what you put in it and that's basically how life seems to be working for me right now and i'm still so young but uh it really does seem like the connections and the people that i've been able to meet just over this show and since i've been out of college it's like a a big web that i'm going to continue to create and it's like uh, so amazing that I'm just thankful. You know, I think that's basically what it is. I get up there and I'm thankful that I'm so healthy right now. You know, aside from being this tall, tan, and terrific looking, (laughs) (laughs) I'm really able to go out and just provide as much value as I can. And like, that's basically what you were able to accomplish with your art is just give somebody like indirectly, like I had no idea, just for example, like the Hilltop Park, I had no idea that that was something that you had to do. But the the work stands the work speaks for itself that's what i'm trying to say yeah, right it's like yeah. that place is packed you can't get a parking spot every day of the week you can't get a parking spot up there yeah. i gotta park at the bottom of the hill walk up the hill you get up there and you go all right it's worth wow. it but that stuff is so cool and like do you feel how do you feel about providing that type of value well is that something you even think about um the uh for my for my, it's like uh, I run sound, you know, for powwows and yeah. different things. And so uh, there were people who, uh, we did this thing 30 years ago and asked people, you know, like, geez, what, you, what what's your biggest challenge? And one of the biggest challenges people had was sound people, you know, who actually knew how to mic drums and run powwows and knew what it was about. So that concept of providing voice has always been, something that's important to me. So this last year I was head man dancer to powwow. And I'm not, I'm, I wasn't really wanting to do that necessarily. I was asked to do that, you know, so it's a responsibility. You do it. 
so I enjoyed it and all that. But the thing is that I'm more comfortable um, putting somebody else out in that space, giving voice, acknowledging them. You know what I mean? Like mm, that they're growing, you know? So for me, having spaces that like that, where a lot of people uh, were part of the decision-making process, you know, mm -hmm. and then creating that. So, but I want to talk about Dragonfly. So, um, so, and, and, and is that uh, Dragonfly is really a significant thing to lots and lots of people. But one of the things about a Dragonfly is two thirds of it light of its life, something like that. I forget the actual percentage, but they live as a worm in the water, you know, and so they are carnivores and they eat stuff, you know. Okay. So, so for me, in two years I'll retire, you know. But uh, so, so, so the way I conceptualize my life is uh, at that point I'll be seventy years old. So the deal is that our lifespan, you know, I mean, sadly, lifespan of different groups is really varied, you know. But human lifespan can be at least uh, 100, 120 years now is what people are thinking. So. So to me, I w I, what I'm hoping is, my fantasy is, that uh, I've been living as a worm under the water, you know. So then when I retire complete, then I can be this dragonfly, Yeah. right? And the other thing is that uh, when I was in school, there was no such thing as public art. There were no such thing as architects and artists collaborating in the way that Hilltop is. So for younger people, you know, the skill sets, the foundational concepts, like to me, that's very important. And because uh, you can apply those things because into the new careers, the different careers, the different things that you'll do over time. And so for me, that's that idea that um, uh, like that, the dragonfly, it's a best predator, right? And uh, of anything, because it doesn't chase, it doesn't chase um it's prey it anticipates where the prey's going to be and it goes there so so of all predators it's the best yeah so there's all this thing about foreseeing the future you know or trying to think in the future so i think that when you're young like the concept is dude you could be living to a hundred years old right mm -hmm. so so like you can slow down I love right? that. You know, you can think, and then also the, the direction you're heading. And then the last thing is is, is if, if you get a formal education or you don't get a formal education, it uh, uh, doesn't really matter, I don't think. Uh, it, whatever you want to do, find out the people who do it best and learn from them, you know, the people you admire, and study that, you know, because uh, I think, there's all these people that teach at junior colleges that also teach at USC. They also teach at UCLA or Cal State Long Beach or whatever. But you can take a class from those people. Like if you know what you want to do, then find those people. Mm -hmm. Learn those skills because skills and knowledge people can't take from you, right? Yeah. And then if you got those skill sets, then it's like you can be uh, adjustable, you know, and you can make your way through. You know, I really like that. And so, that applies just to me immediately because there's uh, the industry that I'm in. Obviously, I work in finance, business and finance, and um, lots of pressure. <laughs> the <laughs> highest, the highest, you <laughs> well, know, we're talking about, you know, lots of uh, at least perceived pressure 
very now, 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 yesterday, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. And I've already applied what you're saying as far as because cool. my mentors have already let me know that, no, 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 buddy, you got a lot coming your way. You know, you're just 23. This is all you need to do right now. Become the best at this, and then we'll worry about the other slices of the pizza right. down the road, right? But the pressure is like pizza, pizza, pizza. You want the whole pizza. <laughs> and it's really awesome to uh -huh. once it did click to go like, oh, yeah, no, I'm at a stage in my life where I can literally just live off of scraps. I don't have like any tuition to pay for anymore or like anything like that. Yes. Just pay the small bills that you have, dude, and continue to develop your craft. And then like the dragonfly sort of try to fly towards where things are going to be at and then wait for it to come and then yeah. attack when you're ready. ready. You're yeah. ready. Yeah. You know? That's super cool. Yeah. And like informal education, that's what this podcast is. I'm learning every single yes. episode, yes. you know, I'm yes. able to, right. and then one the things that I do learn outside of the show, I'm able to now bring into this world that we created here and we curate. And it's really awesome because that is something that is scalable too. That's the big key component is I can bring this into the homes, the earbuds of as many people as yeah. needed. And that's super cool that you bring that up. I think what I want to finish on as we're starting okay. to close the show out is this episode. Tell me how you met Laura. Yeah. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one thing, though, is that as a teacher, what I've never tried to do is socialize dependency, mm. right, to make versions of myself. Yeah. You know? but to try to figure out who those people are, you know, and then for them to do it on their own, you know, to, to, so the thing is that, that they don't have to come to me to ask, Oh, Hey, would I do this? Like what I would call socializing dependency. Mm. And, and so for me, my, like if I have pride in anything, it's like, I'll see people succeeding, but they're not having to come and check it. Do you know what I mean? Cause they, they feel, so that's the thing. So when I met Laura, um, we that was our first week of school, um, and it was in the dorms in 1976, and um, and uh, uh, so uh, we went to a dance, and uh, so I met her that night, and we danced, and then uh, and and then uh, I walked her up to her room, and we said good night, and. Um, and I just thought, oh, man, I'm going to marry that girl. So in the dorm the next day, you know, we're sitting there with, uh, with all of our bros, you know. And it was interesting. There were all these crazy people there. You're like Dean Birdsbill, a Haddad's a Mandarin guy uh, who was – anyway, I, I could go on and on about – but all these different people, you know, who are, are – like we're sitting in the dorm dining hall. And uh, so I said, yeah, man, I met the girl I'm going to marry, you know, last night. You know, they're like, really? And then – this girl come in, kind of looked like her. It wasn't her, you know. And then I said, they, go, I said, they said, is that one, that her? I, I don't, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and then Laura came in. I go, that's her. So anyway, so that was kind of the funny thing, you know. And uh, so that's how we met. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, man. That's, that's really great. And um, I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, come on this show again and almost, you know, inspire a lot of what we do here. But as our, I always ask our guests, we sort of close out on, you know, one or two final questions. Yeah. And the main one that I want to give to you is who is somebody that we can reach out to that, you know, 
that you would recommend that maybe we can get on the show oh. that would be a cute, like a really cool guest? Who's somebody that you would like to see as a guest on the Natural Thoughts and Talks podcast? Who are maybe like two or three people that you can think of? Yeah. You had TJ on already. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah TJ's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cindy Avitri, have you ever met her? Who is she? She's Tongva Gabrielino, and she's she's we worked on NAGPRA, uh, Native American Grace Protection and Repatriation Act. We have a committee at school, and um, we reburied 100 ancestral remains in 2006, and she was a major part of that, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, <clears throat> so, so uh, she is really knowledgeable about that, and has dedicated a lot of her life to uh, trying to make NAGPRA, this law, work. And um, right now, it's uh, the <clears throat> James Ramos, who uh, is a legislator in California. He's He just got this uh, law passed uh, and has advocated for that. He's from San Manuel. And, uh, and so NAGPRA in the CSU is really, really big, uh, and it's a big topic, and there's... And, and people are very critical of it because people haven't done their job. But at Cal State Long Beach, we have, mm-hmm. you know, like we reburied in 1979, the first ancestor on the land, became the first university in the United States to do that. We did it again in 2006, and we have, she's, she, has, she has done all this work. There's a whole team, <clears throat> and so you don't want it point just to one person yeah there's all these people who are doing it but she's pretty awesome you know so her name was cindy yeah cindy alvitri okay and she's a professor there at cal state long beach and uh so she i think she's be very interesting just to talk about herself uh and the tiot society i mentioned that canoe Mm -hmm. that's she's the one who had the vision to bring that canoe back oh so, so she's, she's an interesting person. Yeah. Uh, somebody else, uh, who also worked on NAGPRA stuff, but he's, he's, uh, his name is David Salazar and David Salazar has a new here. He had this big job, like a top job, head of facilities at Cal State Long Beach and then at Cal State LA. And then he retired and now he started a nonprofit uh, design services, you know, and so it's it's really centered on solving social um, social um, issues like housing and you okay. Know? So, but his name is David Salazar. And, yeah, and he's so those like there's all these other people, but uh, you know, and then part of me wants to say my daughter Lauren, you know, but okay. but um, but in. Uh, um, you know, she's a game writer, you know, mm-hmm. and so she works for Ubisoft and she, she created some of the first Latino and black and, uh, Asian, uh, you know, and, 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 um, G- uh, GLBTI characters, you know, yeah, in, um, like Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege. That was one mm-hmm. of her first games. And then on the division, uh, that's her game now. So that's why she lives in Sweden. It's because they work out of massive studios. So I don't know. That's the, um, 
Definitely. No, that's a good list. That's a strong list right there. I'll have to reach out to all of them. Um, definitely when she's back in town. Definitely. That would be a really cool thing. And the last We're, thing... When you're in Sweden. Oh, yeah. When I'm yeah. in Sweden, too. The, the thing when I'm in Sweden, though, is... You're not you, carrying all this stuff. You don't yeah. understand. No, I bring it to Sweden. Dude, yeah, what? I brought it all. I, we, had, oh. we had like three episodes from Sweden oh last time gosh. I went. Oh, that's um, cool. <laughs> the, but the point is we're on tour. When Hannah oh. gets back and her sister get back in, it's we're on oh, tour. Okay, it is yeah. a like, you know, we're banging boom, boom, yeah. boom, here, here. People are happy. And uh-huh. that's the biggest thing is like the level of family. Like, and almost it's weird. It's almost like un like unabused you know all families have their struggles and their trials and stuff yeah, like yeah. that but just compared to like you know native culture and african-american culture and just how that's you know really webbed and sort of we're so much rebuilding and relearning that we're working on there yeah. versus people have been doing it sort of the correct way for you know a thousand years or so they've really been pretty untouched and good and like nothing crazy's going on yeah the amount of love that i get when we step off that plane is like nothing i've ever experienced before so it's pretty cool her parents just bought a house actually yesterday too oh, nice. so a really nice i'll show you some pictures and okay. of where like we'll be staying later this year it's really awesome wow. and you know, congrats on them for being able to do that. But is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about as we close out this podcast? Mm. Uh, Those are your notes? I had written some things down. Yeah. You know, like just... We have uh, unlimited time, too, so it's not... Oh, <laughs> I think the, that... Uh, Maybe my Uncle Jay. Yeah. When uh, he went to die, you know. What was his name? Uncle Jay. Uncle Jay. Yeah. He's my dad's brother. Is this the funeral you were at recently? No, this is a funeral that was about six years earlier. Okay. And uh, and, and so my Uncle Jay, uh, he was a praying man and he had four kids and then they had a bunch of kids and then they had a bunch of kids. So he had like 60, literally like 60 descendants. Oh, wow. You know. And uh, whereas my dad, like we just had, we we just had one kid, and then and then we had one kid. But anyway, so when we so we seen him, and he had spoken and had a big family gathering up there, and uh, and then he had spoken, and then afterwards he uh, a couple just in a short period afterwards, uh, he was in his eighties, and and he got his deer that year, you know, and he was talking about that. We were chatting about hunting and whatnot. Anyway, so then a couple of weeks after that, uh, they diagnosed him with terminal cancer and gave him like a couple of weeks to live. Hmm. So and the cancer had spread and was in different parts of his body and whatnot. So anyway, when we went to the funeral, um, um, when we went to the funeral, uh. They said, "Oh, it was so beautiful. You would have loved it, Craig. You would, because what he did was he he kept saying, I want to die the way people died in in uh, Chilkoot, and um, and and that he told, told he said the reason why I told you about that relative the, the, where they burned the house down. You know, well, the normal thing up there was you knew it was your time to die, and you had some place where you would go to." And so you would take your blanket and you go at night and you would die. But what they didn't tell you is that people, when they knew that was coming, stopped eating, they stopped drinking. So no fluids, no food. So he told a hospice nurse, you know, that this is the way people died there. 
and he wanted to die like that. So you you essentially dehydrate. Hmm. So the death is like super peaceful. So the hospice nurse told him, okay, look, you go, uh, uh, stop eating today. Don't drink anything in your condition. You're going to die within one to two days, you know? So, so they said, get all your family here, say goodbye. So they did. And then they said it was just beautiful how he passed because he was, he was, he was there in his chair. He didn't, he didn't go out to find a place, you know, <laughs> he was just in his chair and, in in his uh, den, you know, and they said it was so beautiful because you could just see him take his last breath, you know, his spirit pass, and it was so peaceful, and he was able to say goodbye to everyone. So there was no, you know, rattle of death, long time in a hospital, nothing. So it was just like what it was like. He was a class act, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, and then afterwards, there was uh, people there, you know, our northern Paiute relatives, and that's their way. Right. And and they were just saying that was so wonderful, you know. And the the other thing is they said like how important it was that the relatives in California were involved with uh powwows and native issues and doing these things because where they were at it was so rugged, you know, like but they loved coming to California because you know, California, our history were the thousands of years. There's over a hundred Indian languages spoken here. There's all these different cultures here. California has this history of having all these different people cohabitating in this state. Mm-hmm. You know, so linguistically, culturally, most diverse in North America. So they loved coming here, and you know, and they loved uh, being mistaken for being Filipino or, you know, in other words, they it wasn't like this situation at home that was just uh, could be very intense. And not pride producing, you know. Yeah. And then when they're here, they would say they would love our celebrations because there was this pride, and they were saying how much that meant uh, to uh, those relatives, you know, that they could come and be come here and just have this joyous, pride-filled experience, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's something that I. Uh, that's kind of you know the end story. For the burning house story. Yeah, that's cool. I like how you were able to circle that back yeah. and get that taken care of. Okay. Hey, how was your first podcast? Oh, I was, I was uh, you know, serious. Like, I was nervous. Uh, yeah. And I was, wasn't really sure how, you know, not at all. It went you know? great. This yeah, I can tell you right now, okay. this is a fantastic episode. <laughs> right. And uh, I hope that you'll be back, you know, when uh, you yeah, want to yeah. uh, do a future episode. <laughs> Maybe when right. we get the cameras up, we can see, you know... About, uh, well, like I said, I'm making a proper little studio that will, yeah. you know, you can come over and, you know, we'll see if we can make something down the road. But okay. yeah, this has been Natural Thoughts and Talks. Thank you guys for listening. And I hope you had a great episode. We'll catch you guys later. Bye. <laughs>